Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. If you stayed up for these two 10 p.m. starts the last two nights, uh, the highs and lows of baseball, the highs and lows of keeping up on the West Coast, the highs and lows of starting your morning with the last thought you had before bed being, in the case of Monday, uh, you know, baseball euphoria, awesome, awesome game, the Jay Jackson game, the Dalton Bar Show game, and then last night going to bed with the last thought in your head being... Well, they need help. They need bullpen arms now. They need to get Mitch White off the roster. That's maybe a little unfair. That was not a particularly win-oriented situation that that Mitch White was thrust into there, not a a position to succeed. Uh, However, a night after winning in 11 innings in Los Angeles, the Toronto Blue Jays suffer a loss that feels worse than that win felt good because that is the largest blown lead in the ninth inning or later for this franchise since 2011. You got to go way back. You got to go two different playoff eras of team, two different bad eras of team for the last time they blew a four run lead that late in a game. That's how it went down. They lose eight, seven and 10 to the Dodgers. A uh, little look back at it for you on the offensive side, highlighted by a four hit game for Bo Bichette, including a home run highlighted by Danny Jansen entering the game as a pinch runner. And then as it got around to him again, uh, hitting a three run double, a huge clutch situation. Jansen came through in that is something that has kind of defined his season as Ben Nicholson Smith pointed out on Twitter and in his article off of that game, Danny Jansen is 10th on this team in plate appearances. He is now third in runs batted in. Uh, We can look at some of fan graphs, clutch metrics and things like that. Win probability added. And he's second to only Vlad in all of those things as well. So nice. Another nice piece of hitting from Danny Jansen. Nice to see Bo Bichette back on, on the good side of things after his partial day off. Um, Chris Bassett gives him five okay innings, not particularly pitch efficient, comes back out for the sixth, walks the first battery faces. He, he gets yanked. Uh, Genesis Cabrera comes in and gives him two solid innings. I know I did my Cabrera spiel on Blue Jay Central on Friday, and we kicked it around a little bit on this show this week. Early returns, A+. plus. Really good stuff from Cabrera. Uh, Tim Mesa then gives up his first home run of the season, one to J.D. Martinez. You're just going to lose that battle sometimes, especially Mesa coming into a right-handed heavy spot of the order uh, because they didn't really have options in the bullpen yesterday. Eric Swanson comes in and has an absolute meltdown, and that's a meltdown that is not just on him. Couple of bad plays behind him, some batted ball misfortune, a, a bloop single, a, a ball that takes a weird bounce, um, you know, a, a ball that goes off of Vlad and Santiago Espinal just kind of stares at it for a little bit uh, and then makes a, a bad throw. You're not hanging all of that on Eric Swanson, but it wasn't, it also wasn't a very good uh, appearance for him. Anytime you give up four runs, at least a little bit of it is on you. So that ties the game. We go to the 10th. The Jays can't score on the top of the 10th. Bottom of the 10th, the only arm left in the bullpen who's available is Mitch White. And that went exactly how you would expect it to go with Mitch White in a high leverage spot game on the line. He almost immediately surrenders the game winning run. Jays lose. 8-7. Uh, tough, tough, tough go. Uh, again, Eric Swanson, Tim Meza, Mitch White. They combined to give up six over two and a third 
Uh, that is something that even when the bullpen's been less excellent, um, you still see better performances than that and them giving you a chance to win. Now, there was a game against Seattle on the weekend where uh, the bullpen really didn't do much at all. And I think, you know, what you're seeing here is not necessarily that, hey, Tim Meza and Eric Swanson aren't good. They are. We have a, a large sample that says they are. Um, in Tim Meza's case, it's one home run to a, a righty who hits lefties really well. Even the best of relievers are going to give that up. With Eric Swanson, I think you're probably seeing a fatigue component here. And that fatigue component, at least for me, colors some of what we're talking about this next week, both with respect to the trade deadline. I've been pretty adamant all along that, um, you know, even a good bullpen needs to add. And part of why you add is not just to knock everyone down a peg on the leverage chart, but to spread those opportunities around so that you don't run into a day where, say, Cabrera, Meza, Swanson, and White are your entire available bullpen because everyone's been so heavily worked and Eric Swanson is, you know, maybe running on fumes a bit at this point. It also informs what I'm thinking about the return of Hyunjin Ryu at some point and the feasibility of a six man rotation, which, you know, my, my knock on the six man rotation has continued to be, it takes an arm out of your bullpen. And sure. If it's Mitch white, you lose for a week. Well, we just saw it. That was only his fourth time pitching in July, even though he's been on the roster the whole time, they've gone more than a week at a time sometimes without using him again. Um, maybe you don't feel that much, but there's an opportunity cost of having six starters because there's no rule that Mitch white has to be the last guy in the bullpen. You can upgrade that spot. Um, you could upgrade it at the trade deadline. You could upgrade it internally by just cutting bait on the, the 40 man spot. Now that's, you know, there is a lot that goes into those decisions, especially this close to the deadline. But all of it is to say um, the six man rotation idea when you are starting to see now you're, you're starting to kind of pay the freight on how heavily you've worked your bullpen to date. It's uh, it's a little tough to then turn around and be like, well, we're going to carry six starters and just run the bullpen short and we'll deal with it. If you do do that, you know, Jay Jackson, Genesis Cabrera, Nate Pearson, you guys, Zach Pop, even you guys get ready because those of you with options are going to be going up and down a bunch uh, to make sure that, that, that there are fresh arms in that pen. Um, that's a decision for the Baltimore series because Hyunjin Ryu is not being activated for this Angel series. We've also got one more in this Dodgers series to get through. It's Yusei Kikuchi against Tony Gonsolin, a 4-10 start today. The man who will be on the call if you're watching on the TV side is Dan Shulman. He joins us now. Dan, how are you? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little sleepy. <laughs> I So for anyone who who doesn't know, Dan Shulman is obviously, well, he's obviously on the road. Everyone knows that. But you, you're Dan Shulman. You pick your spot. If you, if I get a yes on, will Dan Shulman come on the show this week? You call your shot. You, you pick what slot you want. You choose the 7 a.m. local time to, to come on here. What What are you thinking, man? Hang on, I want to go back over my text exchange with Jeff as a party and see if I chose it. But <laughs> I mean, normally when I'm out west, I wake up very early. I never quite get adjusted, but you also don't expect back-to-back -back, um, 
extra inning game. So no, it's it's all good. And and um, you know I got to go to the ballpark at a certain time too. So right, so because it's a day game today. So uh, earlier is better. But it's uh, it's all good. I'm just not quite warmed up. I haven't had my coffee yet. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Unbelievable. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out. And this is you know today's afternoon start is a rubber match in a lot of said that you know they they go one one, but they go one one in very similar fashion coming uh, blowing leads going to extra innings uh, the Jays obviously coming through in the 11th inning on Monday and blowing it last night these things especially in a series between two pretty good teams these things are going to go both ways but we are looking at a bit of a stretch here where uh, the Jays you know three and five in their last eight and there have been I think every single one of those games has been close are are you learning a little bit about a little bit extra about this team in this run of close games against good teams I don't know if I'm learning anything extra. I mean, in a number of the games, they've had the, you know, the the scoring position thing crop up, right? I mean, they've had some big hits. Like that Danny Jansen double last night, that's got to be enough of a hit to win you the game. It just has to be, and it wasn't last night. Um, so the flip side of the coin, like you said, is um, they've let some leads get away. And the bullpen, by and large, no matter how you look at the numbers, and they've become a little bit distorted over the last five games, but the bullpen, by and large, has been very good this year. Um, it has not been very good, by and large, on this uh, on this road trip. It was two nights ago. Jordan Romano and just about everybody else who pitched were great two nights ago. But last night, um, it didn't work out as well. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, they like you said, they've had some guys who were unavailable, and clearly, they had four guys who were unavailable last night. And if any one of those four had been available, maybe they win this game. Who knows? But so, to me, it's it's just kind of they're still sometimes lacking the ability to not only get the big hit because Jansen got the big hit last mm-hmm. night, but sometimes sometimes it's that innocuous-looking middle of the game. Oh well, they got one, but they didn't get the add-on run. Well, they got one, but the runner was already a, the next runner was already a third with nobody out, and they didn't get that one. You know, so that continues to be a problem at times, and the bullpen depth has. Uh, been severely tested here on this road trip, and they've cracked a little bit in the last few games. They have, and on the hitting side, yeah, Danny Jansen aside, this is a team that after doing a little bit better in, in big situations for a bit, there's back down to 24th now in batting average and weighted runs created plus with runners in scoring position, uh, not where you want to be. Um, Dan, when you see the bullpen side of it last night, and, and I agree with you, if Danny Jansen comes up with that hit in that spot off the bench, you that's got to be enough to rally you to that victory and kind of cruise from there. And it, look, there were a lot of guys not available in the bullpen, but you turn a four-run lead over to Eric Swanson, you feel pretty good about that. When you see Eric Swanson have a tough one there, you know, even Tim Mesa gives up a home run. There were a couple blips on the weekend from this bullpen. I know that relief pitcher performance is very, very random week to week and things like that. But do you think we're seeing a component of the the kind of cumulative fatigue for those back end arms where an Eric Swanson, a a Tim Mesa, Jordan Romano, all of those guys are kind of well on pace to career high workloads? Yeah, I, I think in the case of Swanson, I think we kind of know that he worked a ton in the first half, and he admitted he worked a ton in the first half, and and he was feeling a little bit. Um, now, in last night's game, he had had a day off, but still, if you look at him, and I'm looking at uh, a roster resource right now, so I can see their usage, it's four times in six days for Eric Swanson and all at least 17 pitches and and all of them in high stress situations. Like he had two really high stress situations in Seattle 
and then last night turned into an extremely high-stress situation when it wasn't designed to be. So, you know, four times in six days for him. Romano had been four and five coming into last night, um, and they didn't have Mesa, or they didn't have Richards, they didn't have Jackson, they didn't have Jimmy Garcia. So, yes, they have uh, worked a lot, and yes, the reason for that is because the offense hasn't added on runs, as you, as you said, and, and it's all interrelated. It's a, these are not distinctly separate parts of a team where one has nothing to do with the other. They There is a connection, and there are only two ways you can fix it. One is score more runs, and two is you keep shuttling guys up and down for the minors who have options to get fresh arms, but then you might not have your best eight guys in the bullpen, right? And, and like Jay Jackson, and, and I'm not saying he's going to, but he won't, but Jay Jackson doesn't uh, deserve to ever get sent out anymore <laughs> to bring up somebody else. Jay Jackson deserves to be on this team. He is one of their eight best relievers. So um, it it is a bit of a situation. Um, A couple other things just about last night. In the first five innings, Chris Bassett's innings, um, I think the Dodgers deserve a lot of credit too because they got Chris Bassett out of that game earlier by being incredibly difficult at the plate, even though they weren't cashing in between taking pitches, fouling off pitches, and that's who they are. So I think they deserve a little bit of credit, too, because in a normal game, whatever that is anymore, I don't I, we used to have them. I don't, I don't know what that means anymore, though. But in a normal game, Chris Bassett probably would have gone deeper into the game. Um, the other thing with Swanson, and Swanson was not great last night. He'd be the first to tell you that. But there were two infield, three infield. Was Chapman charged with an error? I don't know. If Cha- I don't think Chapman was charged with an error on the play. He there was were not. Three, yeah, there were three infield hits. There was the, the little grounder in the early in the inning from Rojas in the hole at short where Bo got there, but there was no play anywhere. Then there was the wicked hop one off Chapman's shoulder, and then there was ultimately the most important one, the Chris Taylor one off Guerrero's glove where Espinal picked up the ball and somehow it didn't occur to him immediately that he had to guard the plate, that the throw had to go to the plate right away. So there were three infield hits in the inning. And again, if any one of those three turns out a little bit differently, they win the game. So um, I, I haven't really laid a lot of this at the feet of Swanson, to be honest with you. And again, he wasn't great. There were some hard hit balls as well. There was some baseball bad luck. There was Espinal... Not you know not being uh, uh, focused on what he needed to be focused on in the moment, uh, and then ultimately you get to the tenth inning and Mitch White's coming in in a in that kind of a spot, and even the top of the tenth, like they didn't score, right? They got you had a runner at second, nobody out because it's extra innings, and you get a hit, and they didn't score because Kiermaier got thrown out and they couldn't get a run in, and, and so it was just one of those painful baseball days. It was, and there's a lot we could kind of pick at from that, and I do want to talk about Espinal in a second, but because you mentioned it, what did you make of the slide decision from Kiermaier on that? I thought it was for a guy who, you know, normally nails every little thing. He had two balls that I think in this game that normally Kevin Kiermaier comes up with that he didn't, and you could look past that a little bit, but the slide was a weird one too. Just felt like an off day for Kiermaier a little bit. Yeah, it did, and it happens. I don't make too much of it. Um, to be honest with you, I'd have to go back and look at it. You mean so with the hand as opposed to feet first? Yeah, I guess. the hook and, slider, and, yeah, I, I guess we'd call slide, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that, to be honest with you. I mean, it's I've never run the bases you know, to that degree. <laughs> and and um, he, as you know, is, a, is an excellent base runner. Okay. So um, it's, a, it's a bang, bang decision. He can see that Will Smith has kind of had to leave the plate 
Uh, and I guess that's your point, that Will Smith kind of had to leave the plate and then kind of dive back and get him. So, yeah, another thing I guess that could have been done differently, but on the list of things that could have been done differently, I've got a, a few ahead of a, a few ahead of that on that list. Yeah, and I'm with you. It was a huge accomplishment for me when I stopped scraping up my my right shin when I was sliding, and that, that was it. I was like, okay, I'm not right. bleeding every time I slide anymore. Great, we got as far as we need to go on the, the sliding technique. Um, okay, so let's go back to Espinal. There's that play there. Um, you know, like you said, he, it doesn't occur to him to throw to home. I, For my money and, and some of the metrics that we have in small samples back this up, it has not been a particularly strong defensive season for Santiago Espinal. Um, in general, the Jays have struggled with second base defense a little bit. Um, you know, he, we've only seen him at, at shortstop for a handful of innings anyway. Um, when... A player like Espinal is in the situation he's in, where playing time's been a little sparse. You're looking at a trade deadline six days from now where, honestly, he has to be at least a little aware that it's possible his roster spot gets upgraded. Um, you know, I, I don't want to kick dirt on him after a bad game, but but having those kind of moments and that kind of game at this juncture in the season with where he is on the roster, that that has to be something that gets noticed higher up, right? Oh, I, I would think 100%. Yeah, so, and, and you're right. He had a better offensive and defensive year last year, and he got a lot of more, lot more playing time last year. So he played very well out of the gate last year. It, I mean, listen, he was an all-star, and I get that he replaced an injured player, but he was still good enough that, you know, he was under consideration for that spot. He was, the first half of last year, he was great. I agree with you. His defense has not been as good this year. Um, I don't know the answer to this in terms of what the Jays think, but is there a question of whether Merrifield's a better second baseman? Obviously, they feel Espinal is because Merrifield came out of the game. Varsho went in, Merrifield came out. They also could have gone Merrifield to second and Espinal come out. But, um, you know, obviously internally it is still Espinal. But yes, if they are considering, you know, dozens of things, I'm sure, in terms of upgrading the team. And when I, if, when I think about them possibly going out and getting a bat, forget whether it's a left-handed bat or right-handed bat. If they go out and get a bat, to me, it's got to be a second baseman or an outfielder, just by process of elimination. Like, what else, what else really is it going to – I suppose maybe it could be a catcher, but I don't, I don't see that happening. So, um, and because of Merrifield's flexibility – whether it's a second baseman or an outfielder, you can figure it out. And either way, Espinal might lose some playing time. So the, the the one thing or one of the things that Espinal offers is right now he is your emergency shortstop. He's your backup shortstop. They don't have that other guy on this roster right now. But, um, yeah, you, you know, games are being lost that should have been won. And, you know, you can upgrade and change and all that. But once you lose them in the standings, you lose them in the standings. And they've lost – a few too many in the standings on this road trip. Um, you know, uh, it, it, so all, everything is being noticed. Everything is being magnified right now. And it's July 26th. Like it's, it's getting there. So yeah, I, I think there are a lot of things under consideration right now. And the good news is they might make some upgrades. The, you know, the flip side of the coin is there might be some, some tough meetings in, in, in the office coming, you know, because, uh, if somebody comes in, somebody's got to go out. Who knows who, the, who that'll be? But, yeah, I, I think there are some things coming that might surprise us a little bit. Dan, I'm curious. This is maybe, uh, and forgive me if this is a little inside baseball, but you in your role, um, you know, I know you just love talking baseball and being around the game and things like that, but in, in your role on the broadcast, do you get to spend much of your energy this next little bit thinking about specific 
potential targets or is it more, you know, does the day to day of calling the games kind of mean, Hey, you're going to react to whoever they end up getting. You're maybe not scouring the, the fan graphs leaderboards and the rumor mills and stuff like that. How do you approach the, the next week or so personally? I don't scour a ton. I, I scour a little just for fun. Um, so, you know, if they, if I'm of the opinion they need a veteran right-handed back, um, like I know the Mets are struggling, do I know Mark Canna's numbers off the top of my head? No, but I, you know, I know what Mark Canna's been for years. So, you know, if I see Mark Canna's name, that doesn't surprise me. So that kind of thing, I think that gives you a feel. So I, I don't scour a little. I'm on Twitter enough and I follow MLB trade rumors and I go to their site enough that I... I see a little bit here and there, but um, I'm not a reporter, so I try to stay out of most of the speculation and, and as you said, react in the moment. My job is to call the game, so uh, I don't get too deep into it. Which I think is a, a fair way to approach it. And honestly, when uh, you know I do two hours of this show every day, I've got a spreadsheet a mile long from all the different names that people have oh. have texted in, or, or and people can send their text to five ninety five ninety. We'll get to some of those uh, in the next segment here as well. But yeah, there have been just so many targets that I've I've lost the thread on. Like even yesterday, for for example, we were, I was talking with Ben Nichols and Smith, and I I. Miss, I, I misquoted Jorge Soler's contract situation just a little bit. And it's like, yeah, well, I'll forgive myself because I've got 55 different player contract situations uh, bouncing around my head. Uh, Dan, one of the, you mentioned there'll be some tough conversations coming. Maybe one of those is with a Santiago Espinal. Um, I, I think probably one of those is with a Jordan Luplo type. Last night, we saw Mitch White for the first time in over a week. Four times we've seen him in July. That's the first time we've seen him in anything really other than mop-up duty. And he was in there because they really didn't have a choice. Now, Mitch White is out of options. It's probably a decision they would like to not have to make until after the deadline here if they can manage it. Um, I don't think last night tells us anything new about Mitch White. But do you feel like on the pitcher side, he's probably the most tenuous on this roster? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and you know, anybody who gets it gets why they haven't made a move with him. They don't want to lose him on waivers. They don't want to lose him for nothing. I mean, the trade doesn't look good, and, and they don't want to lose him. So I don't know if they're trying to deal him. And, and dealing him, I don't know what that means. I don't know how that's different, really, than if they were to lose him on waivers. You know what I mean? Like they, a team would assume – you're not. Can you get a low-level minor league prospect for him? You know, he hasn't pitched enough. He hasn't pitched well. I don't know what his value is right now. He had success with the Dodgers. Like he wasn't. He didn't struggle like this with the Dodgers. Or obviously, they wouldn't have acquired him in trade. But um, it, it, it's another difficult situation. But again, you're a contending team, and you got to have the 13 guys who you feel are, are best suited to try to help you win games. So I imagine maybe they're trying to make a deal for him, or maybe they're trying to package him in a deal, but. Um, you know, again, Hyunjin Ryu is coming back. Is, is is Ryu not coming back until they can make a move with White to free up the spot? I don't know, maybe, but it kind of feels like there's a connection there because Hyunjin Ryu needs a spot. I'm not sure who else's spot on this team he's taking. Like, again, Jay Jackson doesn't deserve to get sent down, can't get set down. They need Jay Jackson uh, on this team right now. So I imagine that Ross Atkins, either as part of a package or on his own, is trying to get something, um, you know, make some kind of a deal for Mitch White. But otherwise, I, I think it's possible that, that he gets placed on waivers. And if he does, he'll get claimed. Somebody, you know, some team that's not in it right now will take a chance and say, hey, this guy's had major league success. We'll, we'll claim him. But, um, you know, it, it, he was in a no-win situation last night. Like, no win, obviously. So, but, but because he hasn't pitched well, 
uh, you know, it's uh, he's not pitching very much, and because he's not pitching very much, it's a vicious circle, right? So, um, but they, I, I do believe that roster spot um, probably is going to go to somebody in the next week or so. Three seventy ERA. He had over fifteen appearances with the Dodgers yeah. last year. Ten of them starts, and he had underlying metrics yeah. that back that number up. So I'm with you. I think he gets claimed. If you're Kansas City or Detroit or something like yeah. that, you kick the tires on it. He's got four more years of control. If you turn him into even a reasonable bullpen guy, um, there's value there in at least giving it a shot. If you're the Blue Jays, maybe you just get uh, Sammy Her- some version of Sammy Hernandez back, the guy you gave up right. for Yenesis Cabrera. Um, Dan, quickly before I let you go, uh, Yenesis Cabrera, early returns are like A-plus here, right? Like this this oh, looks yeah. like a guy who, you know, I, I thought they saw something maybe with the fastball-slider combination, uh, as good a start as you could have hoped. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, that slider, and I, and, and I, I think he threw one that was to a righty, and I turned to Buck, and, and like my call on the air was, wow, that's like a hard, biting slider. Like, that's no joke. And, and his issue at times was against righties, and at times was command, was walking too many guys. I, I think he might have walked one in the two innings last night. I can't remember. But he had a three-up, three-down inning the night before. Early returns are this This looks good. Yes, this looks good. Now, it's, it's two appearances, but it gives Tim Meza – uh, a little bit more of a breather. Obviously, they're concerned about Mesa. He was unavailable two nights ago. And it's not, and I talked to Tim about it, it's not just in-game pitches. It's how many times they get you up in the bullpen. They track every throw every pitcher makes in the bullpen, like uh, before the game, during the game, on the field, playing catch, getting loose, everything. And Mesa was down. And uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was his choice. I think they track it, and he reached the number, the threshold, whatever. So, And they don't want to push guys. And tons and tons of teams do this kind of thing. So Cabrera looks good from two um, vantage points. Hopefully it gives Mays a little bit more rest. And he looks really good on his own. And, and if he can get lefties out, then you know you can give Richards and Swanson a little bit more rest as well. So, yeah, very, very uh, promising uh, first couple of outings for him. But he'll be down today, right? Two days in a row, he'll be down today so uh they will have to get by without him hopefully Mays is available uh hopefully they score 11 runs in the first inning and we can have an easier conversation tomorrow <laughs> yeah we'll uh we'll hope for that uh yeah. indeed and see if they can get to tony gonsolin and his 92 mile an hour fastball that is all over the zone and still somehow no one can hit it i uh i don't quite know how that that one works but we'll see uh today dan shulman thanks so much for taking the time out get that coffee in you you got it blake on my way Dan Schulman, uh, play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, that game today is a 4.10 p.m. start, so make sure you check out him and Buck on the TV side, or you can check out uh, Ben Schulman and Chris LaRue on the radio side. Um, ben Ennis will have a little pregame for you uh, in the hour leading into that game, and then Blair and Barker will have Jays talk for you after the game. We're with you a while longer. In the second hour of the show, we're going to talk to Keegan Matheson of MLB.com and BlueJays.com. We're going to talk to John Morosi of MLB Network. So we'll see uh, what's cooking in his phone right now and where the Blue Jays uh, might be leaning, at least based on where the whispers are. Um, in the next segment, though, we're going to open up the mailbag. We've been doing this throughout the week, taking your texts to 590-590. Um, whether trade-related or not, most of them have been trade-related, but I'm not going to hold you to that uh, necessarily if you've got other things you'd like to talk about. We also have that big old list of like 55 names or, or whatever it was uh, that you guys sent in earlier in the week uh, that we can explore You know, some of those, some additional trade targets that we haven't gotten to talk 
uh, as much about just yet. Uh, you guys are next. The mailbag, text 59590. Tweet at me at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, mailbag segment coming up as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's lose last night. 8-7 to seven in 10 innings today. They'll try to take the series against the Dodgers. You say Kikuchi against Tony Gonsolin. Uh, curious to see if the Jays give Kikuchi a little more runway. They've been very tight with when they pull him out of games, whether it's third time through the order or once the control shows a little bit of spottiness or anything like that. Uh, and Kikuchi's always fired up about it. He has averaged fewer than five innings per start uh, over the last month and about 80 pitches. Now it's obviously been effective in that Kikuchi has been effective and they've been solid starts and the ERA is where it is, but this bullpen is pretty heavily worked. And even with an off day coming tomorrow, they'd probably love to get six innings out of Yusei Kikuchi. Um, the, the Dodgers also profile as a team. They, they certainly have some guys who can hit lefties well, um, but they're in the market for an extra right-handed bat as well. And that's because, you know, they're significantly better against righties than they are uh, against lefties. You take a, a bat like Jason Hayward out of the lineup, for example, with Kikuchi on the mound today. So we'll see how that goes. Tony Gonsolin on the other side. Um, he's an interesting one because I, I mentioned it before we let Dan go there. He doesn't throw super hard. He throws about 92 miles an hour and it's not... You know, there are a couple things we look for when a fastball plays beyond its velocity. And one of them is, was it a high spin rate fastball? And what that means is it gives you that kind of rising effect, uh, like, a, you know, a Bryce Miller that we just saw or something like that. Gonsolin doesn't have that. Well, we look at extension. Is he a really tall guy who gets far down the mound? And that way, even if the velocity is not super high, it's traveling a shorter distance. It's kind of popping out of his hand closer to the batter. Um, that's more the, you know, Bailey Ober type. If, if you remember back to, to that start where he gave the Jays some trouble, a six foot eight guy who gets really far down the mound. That's part of what makes Jordan Romano's fastball uh, so good. And he obviously throws 97, 98, 99. So um, it, it's even more to that effect. Um, but Tony Gonsolin is not that he's six, three, which is, you know, tall for a person, but not particularly tall for a pitcher. And he doesn't get very far down the mound at all. So you look at a, a couple of these factors, then it's, you know, is it location? Is it pinpoint? He's all over the place with it. And I don't mean that as in he can't command it. There's just, there's not really a pattern to where he throws it, where, you know, we saw Brian Wu on the weekend painting the outside edge. That's where Brian Wu succeeds against righties. That's why he's been death on him because even if you can reach it, you're probably rolling over top of it or the best you can hope for is poke it the other way. Uh, Vlad's home run against Brian Wu, just the second extra base hit he gave up to a righty all season over, over 10 starts now. So there are a couple different ways uh, a lesser fastball can thrive. And we just went through a bunch of different ways and Tony Gonsolin does not check the box on any of them. Uh, so maybe there's something in the movement profile or just the way he disguises it because that fastball has tremendous results. Uh, batters are hitting only 156 against it this year. They're slugging just 281 against it. 
there's been a little bit of good luck there in that our expected results based on the stack cast numbers are, are a little higher. You'd expect him to come back to earth a little bit. Um, and he doesn't get a ton of swing and miss with it. If you look back to last year, um, pretty similarly profiled fastball didn't have quite these results. So maybe he's due a little bit of regression on the fastball. Uh, he'll also mix in a splitter that is pretty good. Um, uh, although as has sometimes been the case with Kevin Gosman, teams have started to do a relatively decent job laying off of Gonzalez's splitter. Uh, he didn't have a very high swing rate on it last time out and Texas got to him pretty well. Chris black passing along the stat that it was a season low 35% swing rate on uh Gonzalez splitter. So can you lay off of it? Can you identify it and not, not offer at a pitch that you're probably not going to be able to do much with. If you do hit it, um, batters hitting just 152 uh, against the splitter and mostly just beating it into the ground. So um, yeah, if you could be disciplined and lay off of that. And then Gonson's also going to mix in uh, a slider and a curveball, both of which can get some swing and miss, but neither have been as effective this year as they were last year. So this, this is a pitcher type that the Jays should be able to have some success against not an elite fastball, um, you know, slider breaking stuff that righty on righty. A lot of the Jays can handle Bo Bichette jumps on that stuff. Vladimir Guerrero jr. Has a, a career of hitting righty breaking balls pretty well. And then he doesn't have the elite velocity that might give you a concern with a, a belt of our show, a Chapman. So we'll see how that goes. He also comes in with a three ninety four ERA though. And it's his fifth time through the league uh, with a ERA under four. So can't, underestimate those kind of guys who uh, always manage to find their way to some level of result, even if the stuff itself or some of the underlying metrics aren't popping. Another thing I wanted to point out, and this is also from Chris Black. I should just have that guy on the show once a week. Um, I, I mentioned to Dan Schulman that the right side of the infield has been a problem defensively the last little bit, and I'm getting to trade stuff with this. I, I'm using this to set up some, some trade si stuff on the offensive side. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays have converted ground balls to the right side into outs less frequently than anyone in baseball. So there are a number of ways we can measure defense, right? We could use our eye test and, you know, use your, if you want to call it gut, how comfortable you are with a guy out there. We can look at errors. We can look at advanced metrics and things like that. Now, given that it's 2023 and we have those things available and we are not perfect humans capturing everything and being able to catalog everything in our brains, the best thing is to probably look at all of those things together and see what we kind of learn from it. Well, all of those things point in the same direction is that the right side of the Blue Jays infield has not been very good. They turn ground balls into outs less frequently than any other right side of the infield in baseball. If you like defensive runs saved at second base, the Toronto Blue Jays are dead last. If you include first base, the right side of the infield is dead last. I think we would all agree that eye test wise or feeling wise, Santiago Espinal has not been as good defensively as last year at second base. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. certainly hasn't been as good defensively at first base. Um, you know, Kevin Biggio and Whit Merrifield are second base are solid enough second baseman. Um, but again, like Dan Schulman pointed out, the Jays have consistently made the choice that Santiago Espinal is the, the defensive player at second base in big situations. If, if you do the substitution game. So, him having a step back and then being still better than uh, two lesser second basemen. Yeah, the defense on that side of the infield has not been particularly good. I say all that to transition us into trade talk because 
I think a lot of our talk has focused on outfield targets, at least on, uh, on the hitter side, right-handed hitting outfielders. And I still think that's a very reasonable spot to target. You can always use an extra outfielder. You Whether it's upgrading the Jordan Luplo spot, whether it's a guy who can give Dalton Varsho and Kevin Kiermaier more days off, um, especially in Varsho's case until the back comes around, in Kiermaier's case more about um, you know making sure that he's getting to the playoffs healthy. And then Whit Merrifield just kind of bounces back to second base more frequently if you acquire that outfielder. But the other thing you could do is acquire an infielder and Whit Merrifield, who's been fine in left field, uh, despite not having played there a bunch. The, the arm is probably a concern, but he hasn't, you know, route wise and, and things like that. I think he, he's acquitted himself well enough out there that, that you're not too, too worried about it. So if you acquire an infielder who shores up your second base defense, um, who pushes Whit Merrifield to be that kind of, of extra outfielder right-handed bat for you, I think that's a possibility too. So uh, I set all of that up to just say, I, I don't think that outfield is the only spot this team could or should be looking. Uh, we do have a couple of texts in the text line. You can keep sending those in throughout the week to 590-590. We'll sprinkle them in where we can and add the names to our our big old list of names here um, (laughs) with trade stuff. Uh, Make sure you include your name and location so we can shout you out. And if you send them in, in all caps, um, I'll only read them if they're amusing to me. So uh, to the person who uh, just in all caps said, strong, deep bullpens, win championships, trade for power arms. The window is now. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, you didn't need to do it in all caps and you should sign it next time. But I've been, you know, even at the times the bullpen has been really solid. I've been very firmly in the camp of, yeah, add more, add more. Um, you bump everyone down into a, a lower leverage spot. You get to spread those days around, whatever. And look, it's not it's not fair to Jay Jackson or Yenesis Cabrera or whatever that those guys might have to go to the minors as a result of that. They have options. You're going to see over the last third of the season, there will be more roster movement than we've seen so far. There's going to be more, well, hey, Jay Jackson's pitched three of the last four days. Unfortunately, he's been good, but he's got to go down and Nate Pearson's coming up because we need a fresh arm. You're going to see more of that. It's just the way it works, especially since the Jays hit the deadline uh, with in the midst of a stretch of 17 games in 17 days. Uh, And then they, you know, they're going to hit a stretch of schedule in August as well. But at the end of August, the schedule, they, they hit their kind of lull in the schedule. But you're playing a lot of games against AL East and wildcard teams the next couple weeks, too. Um, So you've got to be particularly aggressive, maximizing things. You need more bullpen arms. You can always take more bullpen arms. Um, a couple of people asked about uh, Liam Hendricks in the text line. So there, there are two things to keep in mind, th- probably three things to keep in mind with Liam Hendricks. The first is that he means so much to that White Sox team and that fan base that trading him just on pure rental price is probably not worthwhile for the White Sox. You probably have to pay as if you know he's he's Liam Hendricks um and the other so that takes us to the second one which is that he hasn't been Liam Hendricks this year he's hurt right now um he is on a rehab assignment and throwing 94 uh, oh sorry not on a rehab assignment yet but uh, it was throwing a simulated game and um Pedro Grafol said that he was throwing 94 in that latest simulated game. So he's not, he's not back yet. But the third thing to keep in mind with Liam Hendricks, and this is probably the most important one is if he gets traded, 
his team option for next year locks in at $18 million. So it's not a pure rental on Liam Hendricks. And for a guy who's only thrown five innings this year, I love Liam Hendricks. I think a healthy Liam Hendricks, last year's version of Liam Hendricks fits really well. Uh, I don't think the Jays would explore a guy who's owed $18 million next year if he gets if he gets dealt. A um, couple non-trade texts in the text line. One asking, uh, with no name again, asking about uh, what I thought about Kikuchi being pulled, where he was pulled in his last start. It was arguably his best start as a Jay. Um, why does Schneider pull him when he's cruising uh, and then go to, you know, the bullpen early and ask them for more. Um, I, I think there's a bit of chicken and egg to this. And we went through this with Ross Stripling and uh, the third time through the order last year. And it was, well, Ross Stripling's having so much success. Do you, Does that make the argument to give him a longer leash and let him go a third time through the order more frequently? Or is he having so much success because you're not doing that? You're not asking him to do those difficult situations. Now, eventually we got there with Ross Stripling. This year, uh, things have gone a little differently from Ross Stripling. Um, but last year, we went through that, and eventually they trusted him. I, I think it's situational. I think it depends, you know, what the swings were like the last time through. I, I did think on the weekend it was too quick a hook for Yusei Kikuchi. I, I think the leash should be a little longer today because, uh, you know, your bullpen's so overworked. Even with an off day coming tomorrow, um, you, you'd probably love for Kikuchi to be able to give you six today. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand the the what the heck with the quick hook on Kikuchi. Um, again, averaging just eighty pitches per start in July, and you want to be careful and you want to keep setting him up for success. But yeah, your bullpen probably needs him to go a little longer uh, today. A couple Mitch White questions. Um, Jack and Sue Saint Marie says, "Does Mitch White's poor performance highlight the difference between?" Um, Oh, that that it's easier pitching against the NL West than it is the AL East. Uh, I don't think so. I think this is Mitch White has. Um, he didn't really have an off season. He didn't have a spring training. He is not particularly good right now. Look, egg on my face. I, I like the Mitch White acquisition last year. I didn't think he was going to be asked to be in the rotation right away last year. There was some stuff in in Mitch White's profile, especially with the changeup and slider, that you looked at and, and talked to pitching experts and thought. Well, yeah, if he can get an off season of working on those two pitches, you know, there's a good foundation here. The reality is he didn't get that off season to work on them. He throws a flat 94 mile an hour fastball that doesn't really move. Um, that is a, a tough way to live. If you haven't improved your secondary stuff, Greg and Barry then asks, are the Jays afraid to DFA Mitch white? Because they think another team will pick him up off waivers. He has very little, if any trade value. Um, so here is where that is, Greg, is um, I, I don't think afraid is the right word, but we're six days out from the trade deadline. And as a matter of maintaining your depth and keeping all of your options open ahead of Tuesday, I think they have tried to push that decision until after the trade deadline. The same with activating Hyunjin Ryu. Now, look, you can say Mitch White has very little trade value, and I think that that's true. Uh, I don't think you would get a lot for him, but I think there are bad teams around baseball who would look at Mitch White, who would look at the fact that he was very effective for the Los Angeles Dodgers last year in a, in a part-time role and say, look, Mitch White has been in a tough spot because he has to be on the roster. He can't go to AAA. The Jays are too, are too good a team to let him work through things on the mound. If you're a bad team and you want to kick the tires on Mitch White and see, hey, we'll give him some low leverage spots. We'll give him some runway to work on his stuff. He makes the league minimum. If you could turn, and he has a bunch of years, he's not eligible for free agency until 2028. 
not saying Mitch White is going to become a Cy Young winner, but if you are a bad team, finding a guy at the fringes who has team control and giving him an opportunity to improve his value even a little bit is what those teams do. Kansas City, Detroit, whatever. Those are the kind of teams that are going to be looking at players like Mitch White on the waiver wire or in trade and saying, you know what? We could give him more opportunity to get right. And if he gets right, that's either a really inexpensive pitching piece for us next year, or it's a guy we turn around and trade at next deadline when his value is a little higher. And we turn a C minus prospect that we gave up into a C plus prospect that we get back from later. Those are the kind of things that bad teams are looking to do this time of year. So I do think he would be claimed on waivers uh, by a bad team. And, and I do think he'll have a tiny bit of trade value. Um, you know, maybe the bar is very, very low. Again, the Jays to get Genesis Cabrera, for example, gave up a 14th round pick from last year who was not hitting as a backup catcher at the lowest level levels of the minors. That's maybe where the bar is, but it's more than nothing and it keeps your options open. So I don't think it's an afraid to DFA him thing. I think it's, they would just, if they're, if it comes that, that they have to DFA him, they would prefer to do that after Tuesday when they've exhausted um, those options. So um, there are, uh, I'm going to skip a couple of the questions that were about um, management decisions from the weekend. I think we're far enough past it now. Um, there are so guys, you got to sign these, you got to sign your, your things. Cause I don't know who I'm talking to. And it's a, it's a little weird to, to be like, Hey, no name. Um, okay. Um, someone, Marty from Caledonia asks about George Springer swinging. OO with runners on base. He's grounded into several double plays that year. Uh, look, the Jays have a double play issue in general. They are second in the league in grounding into double plays. Uh, George Springer, obviously uh, guilty of a couple of those, Recently, um, I'd have to take a little bit more time with the numbers to see if his OO swing rate is actually outlandish in those situations or we're just remembering the three double plays he's grounded into um, recently. Uh, someone who didn't sign there says it's a good time to offer Manoa an extension. Uh, yeah, I don't think we need to do the... I don't think we need to do that. I, I think you need to see Manoa get back a little bit. This is the benefit of the way entry-level contracts work. You have a little bit of time uh, to work through that and see where he's at. I don't think Manoa's side would sign an extension right now. Like you're just a guy who has rejected the minimum raises that the Jays have offered the last couple of years is not going to negotiate an extension when his values at the absolute lowest. A um, couple other names coming in in the text line, and you can keep sending us uh, on player targets. We'll add them to the list, even if we don't answer them all. Um, so there is a, an interesting question in here from Al in Niagara about Jimmy Garcia's uh, situation. So when we're talking about guys who could potentially um, be dealt out of this team, Garcia has a club option for next year at $5 million with a $1 million buyout. However, if he pitches in 60 games or gets to 60 innings, uh, it guarantees for $6 million. So Jimmy Garcia now is at a point where it looks like he's going to be locked into next year's bullpen as well. He's 14 appearances shy and 17 and a third inning shy, given how they've used him to date. Um, unless he hits the IL at some point, it looks like he'll get to those marks. So it's an interesting question, Al. I, I think 
that, you know, you don't trade Jimmy Garcia if you're the Blue Jays specifically for that. You gave him that deal. You've continued to use him in high leverage spots. Um, his ERA has come down to a more reasonable 443. But I do think there are scenarios where you are both adding and subtracting over the next couple of days, not subtracting in a sell way. But yeah, you have a bullpen right now that's not super flexible because a lot of guys don't have options and things like that. If you could, if you send out one piece in this deal and you bring back this piece in this deal and the net of that is your bullpen's a little better and a little more flexible, you have to explore that kind of stuff. I, I think that especially comes into play if you're working on, you know, kind of win now trade like win-win trades where you're not just buying a rental from a bad team. If you're talking about, you know, uh, last year's Mitch White deal what is an example of that where two teams are both good and it's not a huge deal that's going to affect your major league roster, but it has 40-man implications. It has minor league implications. I, I think those are kind of uh, the things that you're trying to consider there. Ian from Kitchener says the Jays need to make big moves because they're not good enough. Maybe a blockbuster trade with the Padres. Uh, here's the issue with the Padres as a target. Ian is, I don't, I think they are thinking the same thing that you are. And it's that, well, the Padres aren't good enough, but they're so heavily invested. And this is a win now year. Um, it's hard to see the Padres as sellers, even sitting here with them, six games out of a wild card spot. So close to the deadline. I I'd be pretty surprised if the Padres go down uh, the sell rope, but I'm with you that there's nothing wrong with aiming higher than, you know, Lane Thomas is my guy at this point. I'm dug in on Lane Thomas, but there's no, there's nothing that says you can't aim higher than that and get, Hey, an everyday left field slash DH bat that mashes lefties and plays every day. And is going to be a part of your team uh, moving forward. There's no rule against that. There's no rule against having Keegan Matheson on in the next segment of MLB.com of bluejays.com. We're going to take a break here. We'll talk to Keegan. We'll talk to John Morosi later in that 11 o'clock hour as well. You can keep the text coming into five ninety five ninety. We'll kind of continue to, to build a cache of them for throughout the week and leading into the deadline. And yes, um, if you are sending names in, uh, that's great. They are getting added to the list. So uh, don't take offense. If I don't read them out immediately or don't shout out your name, because they're all just going in a, a big old, Pile. We'll throw some of those names at Keegan Matheson next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, we were taking some of your texts in the text line last segment. And one of the questions that I didn't get to was, please explain to me, this is Dwayne in Toronto. He said, please explain to me how in the world Swanson was left on the mound. Was there truly no one else in the pen? Uh, Dwayne, there are two parts of that answer. The first is that um, he was getting nickel and dimed a lot with, with, soft hit balls and generally the team will look at that and say, Hey, that wasn't, you know, a 70 mile an hour off the bat squibber that bounces off a fielder. That's maybe not the pitcher's fault, but the actual answer to your question, was there literally no one else in the bullpen? Well, there was, it was Mitch white. That's it. That's the, uh, that's who the other guy in the bullpen who was available was they were extremely uh, thinned out. One other note before we get to our next guest, um, uh, a couple of the MLB draft people were kind of rounding up 
closing out the draft uh, because the signing deadline was yesterday. Uh, the Blue Jays, if you were curious, spent every dollar that they were allowed without losing their 2024 first round pick. So you get an overage amount above slot, but if you pass that overage amount, you lose your next pick, uh, your first round pick the next year. They were number one in the league in terms of how much over slot uh, they went. They could not have spent $1 more. They also, by the way, um, Arjun Namala, who was their number, their first round pick at number 20, ended up signing for the 26th highest uh, signing amount. So you got a prospect that was ranked as high as number eight, at the number 20 pick for the number 26 bonus. Uh, not what anyone really cares about at deadline time, but closing the book on draft season seems to be some good process side work from the Toronto Blue Jays. Joining us now is Keegan Matheson, the king of good process, the king of good results, the king of wearing the hell out of that suit at Julia Kreutz's wedding. Keegan, how are you, buddy? Man, God bless wedding photographers. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, it's I, I do love process, Blake. It's a it's a beautiful word that lets you cover up for mistakes that nobody understands. So nobody can argue you. It's wonderful. That's right. You and you can use it in your everyday life in a way that it's mostly it's mostly become ingrained in sports. And I, I think the Philadelphia 76ers have a, a good hand in that with the trust, of the process, et cetera. And now we, we talk process results all the time. But you can just sprinkle this into your personal life. Oh, you made a mistake. Well, I had good process. The results just wa- weren't what I wanted. Oh, you, you left food out on the counter overnight and it went bad and the dog got into it. Yeah, well, the process was there. You know, I'd I'd set myself up to put the food away uh keegan what what are we making excuses for personal life wise uh where process is there but results are not oh goodness at this point of the season my entire (laughs) diet my sleep schedule my sanity my grasp on reality my ability to tell you what day of the week it is really everything i'd like to write off with uh with process i I love that i came in was that some great big c i heard coming into yeah i love it Often called a maritime band. PSA, no, Newfoundland, yeah. not in the Maritimes. Yeah, the more yeah. you know, city folks. Seriously, uh, that was uh, the first concert I ever went to. It was Great Big oh, Sea. One of my dad, so my dad is, is from Newfoundland and lives out there still, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, so yeah, Great Big Sea were my first concert, uh, which is, uh, I still remember my mom being very, very upset that they used, no, not even swear words, but they just like punched up some of their lyrics uh, to be less kid friendly. And we're not even talking like the F word or anything. And my mom was, was not happy about a key and you're a great big C guy. I take it. And look at you now, you could have been a doctor, a lawyer, but <laughs> both of us heard too much drinking music. And, and now look at us, we cover sports. Yes. Now we're beersmen, yeah. or I, I guess in your case, <laughs> you're a little more versatile. I'm a beersman. Uh, you are just uh yeah, exactly what you said. You're a writer and, and that comes with certain <laughs> assumptions. Uh, Keegan, you are not there for this Dodgers series. Uh, someone else from MLB.com is covering off the Jays side of things. However, you've been locked in on this series. You know what's going on. The Jays have lost five of their last eight in a stretch of eight games where every game has been close. Every game has been against a good team. Every game has been tight and down to the wire pretty much. Um, what are we learning about this team during this kind of uh, high leverage for a lot of reasons, but each game being pretty high leverage as well? Uh, what are we learning about this team the last little bit here? It, it looks the same as what we saw through a lot of May, June, early July, and that's not a good thing. You want to see a team that's evolving, a team that is growing, and goodness, you would love to see a team that is giving their bullpen the odd 8-1 to lead, where they can say, hey, whoever is the long man, whoever is the Mitch White or Mitch White of the week, 
go in, throw three innings, get rid of this game, let's take an easy win. That can reset an entire team. And like we saw last night, you were saying off the top leg with Swanson being in there, a shortened bullpen with no Romano, that's what it helps avoid is days like this when you are a little tight on the back end. And when you're playing a team like the Dodgers, when you have that one little weakness, not not even a weakness, just a bit of a crack, they're going to expose that. So I think we are seeing a team that is playing kind of the same. And that is not necessarily a good thing. And like we've seen all year, Blake, they're not capital S struggling. They have a winning record. This is about expectations, and it's about the realities of the AL East and the playoff race, where you need to be getting better you need to be just a bit better than the Blue Jays have been. And these close games are exhausting, uh, I think, for fans to watch. Uh, so I can't imagine how exhausting this must be if you are a Tim Mesa, an Eric Swanson, a John Schneider making these decisions. It's it's a tough one. And obviously Mitch White comes in at a spot last night where you really don't want to have to use Mitch White, although there's been no spots that, that they've wanted to use uh, Mitch White in general. Now, acknowledging that John Schneider had his hands tied a little bit with some of his bullpen options, had already gotten two innings out of Cabrera. Um, you know, Swanson had the the rough inning that he had and Chris Bassett. I mean, the Dodgers averaged 4.6 pitches seen per plate appearance against Bassett. Um, yesterday, uh, they they did a great job chasing him out of that game. I mean, going to Mitch White there, if you weren't already firmly in the camp that you've got to upgrade that spot over the next couple of days, you, you'd have to be there now. Is that, barring an absolute blowout today, is that the last we see of Mitch White uh, as a Toronto Blue Jay? That would make sense. Uh, with Ryu coming back, with Chad Green eventually coming back, probably another couple of weeks. And with the deadline right there, some upgrades are needed. And this is a game, like you just mentioned, where you got two innings, two good innings from Yenesis Cabrera, and you are still running into a bullpen problem. That's not good. This bullpen group has been very good this season. I'm talking about those top six or seven guys. There has been a weak link at times. There usually isn't bullpens. But looking long-term, the Blue Jays will get Chad Green. Uh, They will get Nate Pearson back eventually uh, once he tinkers with his breaking ball a little bit. I say just throw some more fastballs, and that's a bit of a quicker fix. But he'll be back. There are some pieces. But you are looking late in the season at a bullpen that has had a pretty heavy workload on an individual basis. And just like our conversations about the rotation, in in baseball, you're you're trying to – you know, knock on wood and not jinx anyone individually, but these things don't last forever. Good does not stay forever in baseball. And when workloads get up, performance can falter. And that's why at this point of the year, teams are loading up on their bullpen, even when they have a good bullpen. And I think Toronto's group uh, will change this next week. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think it will. And there'll be a lot of shaking up and Hey, they're good stories, but we might see Cabrera and Jackson back down to AAA at some point, just as a matter of of maintaining depth and getting fresh arms up. Um, Keegan, we're, we're moving a little closer to a Hyunjin Ryu return. He's not going to pitch against the Angels this weekend, but we are getting close, and we're going to hit a point where people like us are once again asking John Schneider about a potential uh, six-man rotation, at least for a little bit of time. How front of mind is the toll on the bullpen that that move? Like, if you are considering a six-man rotation, the toll on the bullpen, how heavily are, are you weighing that, even if it's only once or twice through the rotation? 
That's big, and and I think that's something that that I haven't talked about enough. Frankly, is six man rotation is easy to throw around. It makes sense. I think it happens uh, during that seventeen games and seventeen day stretch here coming up. But when you do that, you are looking suddenly at just seven relievers. And how do you make that work? Because when you are really narrowing it down, your best relievers are one to two winning guys. Trevor Richards becomes extremely important at that point. I think he already is, but a guy who can give you two or three innings because when you shave down to a seven-man bullpen, which not that many years ago was regular and easy to manage, but seven men in the bullpen now is a little tougher with how deep starters are going. And when you do that, Alec Manoa, Yusei Kikuchi, you can't have those three or four inning outings. Those will completely sink you. And you'll see again what happened last night in L.A. You will see a short bullpen. So you've got to nail it when you do it. I still think it is the right strategy. But I think at that point, maybe the examples, Blake, best to use are those Kikuchi days where he's pulled after 80 pitches, even though he's rolling. Uh, I think you might have to let him roll a little bit longer if you only have seven men back there. Do you think that's true today, too, as well? Even with an off day coming tomorrow, the, this bullpen's been pretty heavily worked. Would, would you give Kikuchi, I, I know it's the Dodgers, but it's a Dodgers team that, you know, skews a little bit. They hit they hit righties a little better than they hit lefties. Uh, bullpen pretty overworked. Are, are you letting Kikuchi go, you know, 90, 95 pitches if he has it today? I think you need to trust him a bit more. Now, if it's going bad, it's going bad. Get him out of there, that's easy. But if it's going well enough, I think this is where you need to expand that trust just a bit, nothing crazy. And Yusei has earned that. Full credit to him for how he's looked recently, that last outing especially. And when he was lifted early in that last outing, a couple of the most recent outings, that stuff is decided before games. That is mapped out in meetings that include more than John Schneider. I know that managers get the, uh, the critique, but this is a matter of organization-wide philosophy. This involves the front office, analytics, everyone, that if we get to point X and you say is looking like this, well, lift him before he sees these hitters again. I think you need to move those goalposts a little further down the line and trust him, see what happens. Okay, so let's let's pivot back to last night for a second, just because there was, you know, there, there's obviously negative talk. Uh, of course, anytime your bullpen blows the biggest lead that late since 2011, and there are a lot of things going on. There were some positives too. It looked like the Jays were going to take that game in part because Danny Jansen came through with yet another uh, big hit in a big moment, a huge double late in that game. He's now up to third on the team and runs batted in, despite being tenth in plate appearances. Uh, if you look at some of Fangraph's clutch metrics or win probability added things like that when we adjust for his playing time he's second to only vlad with those kind of things i I know the idea of clutch with the exception of maybe david ortiz is like not really a thing you give it enough sample we're just not going to you know see it withstand having said that what what juice does danny jansen have in these situations that it has been a full season now of him coming through in these big spots i think he's incredibly level-headed And John Schneider's definition that that I know folks have heard a lot is that Clutch is doing the same thing, but in bigger moments, just staying the same person. And let the pitcher be the nervous one. Let the other guy be the one who changes what they do. You stay the same, more than likely you're going to win. And Danny Jansen has been so good in those spots. I, I think Danny Jansen, for my dollar, is the most underrated player on this roster, one of the most underrated in the organization, 
there's a reason. I remember going back to the Charlie Montoyo years when we would be talking about the quote-unquote young core, even early on, and you would say Vladdy and Bo and Kevin, and he'd always cut you off and say, and Danny Jansen. He's part of this core. And he's a player that I don't think we talk about nearly enough. What he does in big moments, other than Bo Bichette and other than maybe someone on a real hot streak, I don't know who else you would rather up two outs, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth. Danny Jansen is so good in those moments. And I've really been so fascinated by his evolution as a hitter because I get exhausted over the years hearing over and over and over, I'm trying to use all the fields, trying to hit all fields, trying to do this, trying to do that. So many players try to be a little bit of everything. Danny Jansen tries to be all of what he's good at, which is getting a fastball, yanking it hard, pulling the ball, hard as hell to left field, and it's working for him. He's embraced that identity completely. Behind the plate, he is tough. He calls games well. The pitchers love him. This is a guy, I know we're going to talk a lot about Vladdy Bo contracts down the line. I think Jansen needs to be part of that conversation, and he has been on a team just desperate, absolutely desperate for timely hitting and big hits. He's not the problem. He has been coming up in those spots, and full credit to him for that. Yeah, you're right. And the pull the pull approach, you know, there are a couple guys who who do that pretty well, just focusing on that, and they have pretty good power numbers as a result. Uh, Danny Jansen pulls the ball more than anyone qualified in baseball, except for Joey Gallo. Gallo's the only guy pulling it more often, and, and Jansen, you know, not tippy-top of the league in hard hit rate, but a pretty solid hard hit rate uh, as well. So you see, you know, you, you add those two things together, and you're going to get some good results. Um, so last night, there were, and my text line here, Keegan, is loaded with stuff about Santiago Espinal's play last night. There's, there's obviously the not realizing that there's a play-at-home play to be made, uh, a couple other maybe not in gaffes, but just hasn't looked that solid at second base this year. When you see a guy like that, who's really at risk of losing playing time, this next little, this next little bit, maybe even losing his roster spot, depending on what happens at at the deadline. When you see a player in that situation, personally at this time of year, have a couple mistakes like that have a game like that what is what is your thinking when you see Espinal go out there and do it like it obviously this is not the case but if anyone was on the fence about I don't know Tim Anderson or Nolan Gorman or pick your infield upgrade um they they're probably not on the fence anymore after last night um just I I don't know I know you know Espinal a a little bit and have been around him with this team for a long time um surprise you to see him kind of showing the worst version of himself at a time where he really needs to be showing the best version? It really does for Santiago, especially because Espinal does not have that wow trait. When you talk about Espinal, there's not that one thing where you say he's the best in the league at blank, but he's pretty good in most things. We saw last year when he was in there a bit more regularly, not a big power hitter, but can hit line drives, produce some hard contact. Not a flashy defender, but solid. Everything about him up till this year has been solid. And that's who he was as a prospect as well. A guy who projected as an across-the-board, good, fundamentally sound player. And that's not what you saw last night. And in these situations where not only is your team pressing, but on an individual level, you're trying to stay in the lineup, trying to stay relevant with your club, there are times where you can try to do too much. We've seen that with Vladdy at the plate, other hitters at the plate. 
And there are times where you can be overthinking things. Now, what happened in that play last night, we'll see when we talk to Santiago next time. But it's, uh, Blake, I often compare it to, uh, trying to think of an example. Let's say it's the middle of winter, you're walking down some icy steps, and somebody says, hey, don't slip. Well, suddenly you're thinking about <laughs> it. You know, you're, suddenly you're saying, okay, that wasn't on my mind now, but when you're in the field and suddenly things are not going well for the team, you're thinking, be perfect, be clean. It's a lot easier when you're just being natural. It's a lot easier when you're just being yourself and you don't have that thought of what if this goes wrong. That can creep in at times individually and on a team basis, uh, which is too bad because I think that Espinal really profiles as a really nice 10th, 11th guy at the front of a bench. And in modern MLB, that means you're essentially a starter. That means you're playing 90, 100 games. Who can play that second base, some short, some third, the odd time, a right field if you really need. But that hasn't quite been there this year. And offensively, some flashes lately. But we haven't quite seen the line drive hitter putting balls in play hard like we saw a year ago. It's been a, a tough one, you know, uh, all around. Now you mentioned he could be a 10th kind of a 10th guy kind of player. If things were clicking right in the right situation, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the blue Jays making an upgrade to the position player side and Hey, the easy, the easy move is Jordan Luplo goes back down to AAA because you're not using him a lot anyway, even though he's been good in little windows here. Um, you know, that's the spot. But if we are, aiming a little higher or the Jays decide to make more than one move. Is Espinal a guy you could see outbound, not necessarily because he's, you know, been bad or they don't like him, but because there are going to be other teams who want to see what he looks like given a little bit more regular playing time again. Yeah, that's a good example of the MLB level or, or, or near level move that you could see. There's going to be some trades where the Blue Jays trade a lottery ticket kid. It's like when they acquired Genesis Cabrera, they traded Sammy Hernandez, I think a 14th round pick last year. That's a lottery ticket. Maybe Sammy Hernandez starts 10 years in the big leagues. Maybe he peaks at high A. We don't know. We'll see. But other clubs will want something a bit closer. Now, some clubs will be looking on the more prospect side, whether that's a, maybe an Addison Barger type. I'm not saying him exactly, but that type of player who's still a prospect but ready. If you're a bad team, you can put him in your lineup and see what you have the rest of the way. Whereas Espinal or Biggio, I think both are guys the Blue Jays love, uh, don't want to move, but you make tough choices and they're on your bench. Those are the types of players where if you are a struggling team, you can look to them and say, hey, I, I think that with starting reps, everyday reps, we can get more out of this guy and we can get it out of this guy for two, three, four years that will be attractive in some cases to teams that don't want to wait five years to see if an 18-year-old kid pans out. It's a little more appetizing uh, sometimes. And uh, I didn't expect us to be here uh, talking about Espinal in that way. I really thought he would thrive in this role this year, even though stepping back a bit. But it has been a bit of a tough one, unfortunately, for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I thought there was a good chance that, you know, the Whit Merrifield role was something that was split around a little bit more. And, and obviously yeah. that's that's more credit to Whit Merrifield than it is blame to Santiago Espinal or Kevin Biggio. Whit Merrifield has run with that role, but I, I expected it to be uh, a little more balanced as well. Keegan, you mentioned Addison Barger in there. Um, doesn't have to be him specifically, but there there is a real sense in, you know, checking the box scores daily, talking to, to people like Doug Fox and things like that that the farm system that had 
kind of been underwhelming for, for April and May. A lot of guys injured or off the cold starts. There are some pieces heating up here. It, it feels like the right time. Is that the sense that you guys at, around MLB and MLB pipeline are, are getting as well, that maybe some of the Jays prospects are coming on here at the right time? Yeah, definitely. It was a bad start to the year, period. Aurelvis Martinez looked terrible. Most of the pitching looked terrible, the top names. Then there were injuries, like you saw with Ricky Tiedemann. Addison Barger had an injury of his own. A lot of that's changed, really across the board. The system looks way better than it did even a couple of months ago. And most encouraging are the names near the top. You have Ricky Tiedemann coming back, Brandon Barriera coming back from injury. Barger is back and playing well. Aurelvis Martinez is still one of the hottest prospects in the system now up in AAA. So a lot of those names near the top are looking much better. The pitching, still a ways to go. I think we're still a year or two away from seeing a a really strong wave of pitching come up from the low minors, but that can be worked on. I think the Blue Jays are in a better place than we thought they'd be come trade deadline time because if April and May had have continued, then it's really uncomfortable for this team. But there's some upside now, and I think uh, almost expanding on what we're talking about with that close to MLB, that Espinal, Barger, Biggio group, there's a lot of AAA-level prospects who would be attractive to teams. You're talking about Barger, Martinez, Jasper Zulueta, Davis Schneider, Spencer Horwitz, Otto Lopez, who hasn't had a good year but is, is close and is talented. These are players who, if you are a bad team, you can grab and put them in your MLB lineup, see what happens. And I think that puts the Blue Jays in a good place because you have that, and then every system has 20 lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that somebody in the Royals or the A's organizations, one of these bad teams, says, you know what? That guy, I think he might be a star. Let's take a chance. There's always going to be that guy. So they don't have a super system. This is not a top five system by any means. No one's branding it as that. But I think they have the necessary tools to go out and do what they want to do. And those lottery tickets are important. I've mentioned this example a couple times on this show that Junior Caminero, who in some places is now ranked as the number two prospect in all of baseball, was a lottery ticket guy in a 40-man juggling trade between Cleveland and Tampa Bay a couple years back and in 2021, and now is, you know, potentially the best hitting prospect in in baseball at at the moment. So uh, every little thing matters. Uh, Every one of those, you know, deciding which lottery ticket to, to acquire or which lottery ticket to give up, which Addison Barger type to trade, which to hang on to all of those little things uh, matter. Keegan, it is almost the trade deadline. I, a part of my brain starts to get like a little, not depressed, but just like it nihilistic about the perpetual fungibility of relief pitchers. Just like there are always 50 relief pitchers who are all the same and they won't be good next year. It'll be a different crop of 50, but it's just the constant carousel. Um, Do you, do you enjoy this next week at all, obviously it's silly season. There's a little bit of nonsense, but it, it, for me, at least it's a ton of fun. Uh, how do you feel about deadline time? Where are you at this, this next week? <laughs> you know, it's, it's an entertaining time of the year. The more moves, the better, frankly. That's why I would love to see Shohei Otani move. I think that's good for baseball. <laughs> Anything that you can do to get closer to how the NBA works, you are doing something right. Uh, stars on the move is fun. It's exciting. A reliever being moved for someone's number 29 prospect, that's exciting for you and I and baseball fans. (laughs) Is it exciting for my mom, your uncle, the average person watching a game? No, (laughs) that does not raise anyone's heartbeat. So 
names that people know on the move is exciting. I hope we see some of that at the deadline. That's what makes sports great is that little bit of drama, those changing narratives around these teams. The trade deadline time of the year, it's uh, equal parts interesting and frustrating. It is aggregation season and uh, flimsy rumor season which I have uh, come to love less and less as I <laughs> age into this old man. But it's a, uh, I, I, I'm a still at heart a transaction man. You know, whether it's a waiver wire, the smallest trade you can imagine, still interesting. Uh, we'll see how they come out of this. But uh, interesting weeks ahead, and I just want to see big names on the move. Give us something exciting. Yeah, and then at, uh, you know, 10 p.m. next Tuesday after the deadline's pass and the game's in the books, we can all uh, acquire a beverage or two and close out a uh, silly season. Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, BlueJays.com. Thanks so much for taking the time out, buddy. You got it, my friend. Take care. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com. We're going to talk to John Morosi in a minute. I just wanted to close out a couple uh, text questions that, that came up during that segment. Uh, Jay said, stop referring to the Tigers as a bad team. They're only ninth last and the record's top 10 since June. Um, even if you believe that, what I'm talking about when I use the Tigers or the Royals as an example, what we, it, what we were talking about with a Mitch White or a Santiago Espinal, they are a team in the position where building-wise and on the strategic arc-wise, they should be taking flyers on guys they think they can turn into more valuable pieces or or maybe longer-term pieces. Even if you think the Tigers are okay now and not straight-up bad, they should still be operating uh, in that way. Someone asked why the why is there an issue with a, a six man rotation, a seven man bullpen? We've seen that they've been running a seven man bullpen this month because they don't use Mitch White. To that, I would say, well, yeah, you saw last night the cost of that. You've been running a seven man bullpen, so you have guys run ragged, and you know Eric Swanson is maybe feeling it, and then you run into a day where you have no arms available uh, because everyone's been, you know, everyone's at the kind of at the peak of their fatigue units and they're not available for, for this reason or that reason. So you're seeing, yes, they've survived it, but you're seeing the cost of it lately as well. Um, the last question we'll touch on before break, Jen in TO says Espinal's the backup shortstop. If you trade him, who else would they have? Uh, I think this is a scenario we're playing out where they have added an infielder. They certainly need the extra infield body right now. Um, but in a scenario where you're talking about Espinal being outbound, um, that is almost surely because another infielder is coming in somewhere. And, you know, it's worth noting too, Boba missed seven games over the last three seasons. Uh, that backup shortstop nod is maybe not the, uh, the likeliest thing to come up. Obviously weird stuff happens in baseball all the time, um, but it has not been a, it's not been a job with a lot of hours over the last couple of uh, last couple of years. Um, thanks for all the texts in the text line. We'll continue to sprinkle those in throughout the week. Really appreciate you guys uh, reaching out to 590, 590. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go from, hey, what do all of us people in Toronto think should happen to, hey, what's actually going on out there? John Morosi of MLB Network joins us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. In addition to the Toronto Blue Jays game today against the Los Angeles Dodgers, 
Hyunjin Ryu is going to throw a side session today. Arden Zwelling providing us the update yesterday that uh, Ryu is going to throw the side today. And he's now talking in the past tense about his recovery, which is uh, a nice thing to see and a nice thing to hear. Hyunjin Ryu getting very, very close to Major League Return. As we've talked about a little bit on this show, I think part of why they are not activating him this weekend and waiting that out just a little bit more deload or or whatever the term is, um, is the 40-man juggling. And look, I know that it's the least sexy part of a very fun trade deadline time. Hey, why Jordan Luplo over Davis Schneider? Well, it's because Davis Schneider might have more trade value if he doesn't require a 40-man spot. Hey, why is Mitch White on the roster? Well, you know... That you don't want to have to DFA a guy and lose him for nothing to waivers uh, until after the deadline if you can help it because you never know who someone might value and things like that. Um, why not activate Hyunjin Ryu? Well, if you can punt that 40-man decision to after Tuesday, maybe it's something re- that resolves itself because you've included Otto Lopez in a deal and, and there's now a 40-man spot available, things like that. Those are not the coolest, most fun parts of the trade deadline, but they're things teams are kicking around right now. And it's why you see a couple of moves that we know are going to happen at some point, not happening quite yet. Today, it's going to be Yusei Kikuchi against Tony Gonsolin. Uh, we know that much. We know the roster's the same for the day. If, by the way, um, within the Danny Jansen uh, clutch hit yesterday, good to see him back in the lineup in general. Uh, he had obviously been plunked on the left forearm over the weekend and came out of a game. Tyler Heineman was with the team on the taxi squad just in case, but he's obviously uh, not needed here. Danny Jansen, good enough to pinch run, good enough to come through with a huge double. That didn't end up mattering uh, anyway. We're going to talk to John Morosi in a minute here, but while we're talking 40-man juggling stuff and talking about some minor league names, Ty from Parts Unknown asks if I see Addison Barger coming up soon. I think, Ty, once the deadline is behind us and we see if the Jays upgrade the right-handed hitter against, you know, right-handed hitting outfielder or an extra infielder spot, those are conversations we're, we're really going to start having. And I think Barger's really turned it on lately. Um, you know, certainly if you look at some of the, the stat cast data available for AAA, he's been a monster hitting the ball uh, extremely hard with regularity lately. So um, that's, that's a positive. I think right now, um, based on Ross Atkins's words, based on how this roster is constructed, they will probably look for outside help first. Um, maybe bring in an extra infielder uh, and then, you know, Barger can kind of play out the rest of AAA knowing that that's where he is. And with a focus on making the team next year, of course, injury depth always. But I I do think Barger's an interesting name to watch. We saw Spencer Horwitz a little bit earlier uh, this year. I, I, we've heard on good authority that Davis Schneider was in the mix to get added to the 40 man when Jordan Luplo did. And again, I think that's more of a, maintaining some extra flexibility at the deadline. So a lot of those names are going to be in consideration. There are even some bullpen names that are probably in consideration. Um, You know, Connor Cook down at double A is a guy that I've heard could jump right from double A to the majors. They don't necessarily need to see every reliever at triple A before they make the major league roster. Those are considerations for after the deadline, if X, Y, and Z don't happen. We've got six days to get to the deadline. We now bring on John Morosi of N- of MLB Network to help us through it. John, good morning. How are you? Blake, I'm outstanding, my friend. This is uh, one of my very favorite weeks of the year. And as uh, as 
Parada used to sing Nessun Dorma, No One Sleeps. It's a beautiful time. No One Sleeps. That's especially true if you do a morning radio show about a team that's on the West Coast right now. Uh, that is uh, that is my lot right now. Um, John, How we're six days out here. I'm sure we're going to talk to you uh, again a little closer to the final buzzer. But how, how much have things picked up right now? Because at last we talked... It had seemed like it was maybe going to be a slower start to the actual transactions happening because there are still a handful of teams who haven't quite decided what direction they're heading in just yet. Are we still in that kind of slow play mood or mode or are things starting to pick up? I think that things are picking up and we saw the Kike Hernandez trade yesterday. Of course, going back to the Dodgers a report this morning from Bob Nightingale about uh, the Rays and White Sox discussing Lance Lynn. I was actually in Chicago last night uh, for the Crosstown Series. Uh, two potential sellers, one definite seller in the White Sox, and the Cubs are still on the fence a little bit. Um, a lot of scouts there. A lot of scouts there, Blake. So I, I really believe that we are now in the window where things are happening. Uh, players are going to start to move. Uh, I'll be in Detroit tomorrow to see Shohei and what the latest is on, on his status. But uh, this does feel to me like the start of of the time where we pivot from talking to action. I love that. I'm I'm ready. I'm all action over here, John. Um, you mentioned Shohei and the Angels. They've won seven of nine. They're now only three and a half games out of a wild card. I know Mike Trout's only like just starting to do light baseball activities, and there are some holes that that team would need to plug. But is the sense you're getting right now that that this hot streak has maybe been enough for them to not sell? Yes, I, I believe right now, Blake, that the chances that Otani stays are moving to around 60%. That's what I've got. Based on all the information, uh, the, the difficulty in finding a, a fair market value for one of the most unique talents in the history of sports, the quality of play for the Angels recently, and also, to be honest, the, the struggles he's had on the mound make, make finding a price point a little challenging. Uh, he has not pitched especially well in the last few weeks, uh, which uh, when you're talking about a short time horizon for this deal, it, it makes it a challenge. And so, uh, and, and to your point, they expect they'll get Trout back. What a huge boost he will be for them. They're, they're playing better baseball in general. Uh, maybe in the right circumstance, they actually add a, a piece, a pitching piece. So there's, there's a lot going on right now. There, there are chances of making the playoffs by the numbers, are up to 16% now on fan graphs. Not very high, but, of course, the algorithm that makes that determination does not necessarily uh, weigh in when Mike Trout comes back and the impact he's going to make. So there's a lot happening right now for the Los Angeles Angels. They're playing better baseball. Uh, we'll see tonight. They may or may not be able to get the game in uh, here in Detroit because of rain. So uh, we'll see what tomorrow could bring if it's a doubleheader. But they just have to keep winning series. And if they win this series in Detroit and they won a, a really a dramatic game last night in extra innings, if they win the series in Detroit and find a way to take two or three from Toronto this weekend, I, I think we'll arrive at Monday with a legitimate shot 
that that the Angels end up being a, a club that that actually decides to keep Shohei beyond the deadline. You mentioned the 16% playoff odds right now per Fangraphs. They are three and a half back of the wild card. The team they are trailing in that wild card spot, the Toronto Blue Jays, hanging on to that last wild card spot right now. If anyone was curious, their playoff odds per Fangraphs are about 69%. Uh, John, what are you hearing about the Toronto Blue Jays right now? They are obviously good and obviously not quite good enough yet. Are they, are they setting up to be pretty active this next week? I think they are. And, and their needs to me are, are becoming clearer. They, they need potentially that right-handed outfield bat, um, whether it's Lane Thomas, whether it's a reunion with Tasker Hernandez, uh, whether it's Tommy Pham or Mark Canna from the, from the Mets, there are enough, quality bats out there. They could also go the route of, of adding a, an infielder, a middle infielder, whether it's Paul DeYoung or Tim Anderson. The, the good news is, and this is the, the truth for the Jays, they're not going to be able to get to the summit here unless their, their main offensive cogs produce. They, they will go as far as Vlad and Bo will take them. They could certainly add in some complimentary pieces like Tim Anderson, like Paul DeYoung, like Lane Thomas, those types of, uh, of bats would help, but the, their best players have to be their best players. On the pitching side of things, I, I'm a believer that they, they can and should add at least another reliever, maybe a swingman type. Um, again, I just came from Chicago. One, one name I'd mention that I think has a lot of potential to make an impact somewhere with the new team is left-handed reliever Aaron Bummer. Do not look at his full-season ERA. It's above six. He has been one of the least lucky pitchers in Major League Baseball this season. And, and whether it's him, whether it's Joe Kelly, Kelly Graveman has struggled a bit actually in recent days. Um, I, I think Bummer and Kelly would be really nice additions for the Jays. We saw them lose a late game last night. Um, this is a team that I think will not be able to fully – uh, get to where they want to go to win a playoff series unless they shore up the bullpen in a meaningful way. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right. And look, even the very best bullpens, you're always looking for, for extra bullpen arms. So uh, glad to hear that. I'm curious, you mentioned Tim Anderson, and this, this doesn't have to be Blue Jays specific, but uh, I'm curious as to, in your experience, obviously I can sit here, I, I can bring up the Fangraphs leaderboard pages, I, ca- I can see what you and your colleagues are reporting as rumors. The one question I can't answer in my position is, well, there, there are probably a bunch, but the one I'm thinking of right now is, you know, Tim Anderson has been a full-time everyday player since he arrived fully on the major league scene. If the Toronto Blue Jays or another team were to acquire him, that might be for more of a, a part-time role. And yes, it's cool to go from uh, a losing situation to a playoff situation. I'm sure there's a boost to that. But Tim Anderson's also a guy who could be a free agent this offseason. How much of the work that teams are doing over these next couple days is the work in that kind of softer area that you know, I as a you know an an analyst with Statcast and Fangraphs, I can't really know how would Tim Anderson respond to a bench role? How would he fit in a in a championship push locker room ahead of his own free agency and balancing those things? How much of the work teams are doing has to do with figuring out those kind of fits that aren't just hey bat X in lineup spot Y. Well, it's a great question, Blake, and it's why when I was in Chicago last night why there were a half dozen or more scouts there to see Tim Anderson and 
to watch the White Sox players in general. Um, a couple things about Tim. You know, he's a very competitive guy. I think his first half was just really inconsistent for him, and it's sometimes hard to get a really good read on a player when he's on a bad team. And the White Sox have been a bad team this year. They just have. But then you look at what he's done since the All-Star break. He's batting 366. He's got an 837 OPS. And, and while I'm not going to just excuse the first half, this is for a short-term move. I need to know how he looks right now. He made an error last night, yes. But I think he's one of the guys that often will, will blend in and vibe with the, the character of the team around him. And the White Sox have been an underperforming, disappointing team all year that just do not have a ton of collective team spirit, to use the very subjective term. And I think that if Tim Anderson went to a team with good leadership and good culture, and they said, I need you to play second base like he did for Team USA in, in March and did quite well, by the way, I think you're going to see a much better version of him. Uh, you know, if he goes to the Giants, if he goes to the, the Blue Jays, if he goes to the Brewers, teams that have good culture right now, I think he would be reinvigorated, and I think we would see a, a different version of Tim Anderson. Uh, and, so, and that's where the scouts notice those things. What's the body language like? What's his energy level like? How's his throwing arm? How is he, how is he interacting with his teammates between innings? You know, all those little things. I'm a big believer, Blake, in body language, whether it's sports or anything else, but especially in sports. You can just tell when you're around a person or a player a lot, how engaged are they? And I think that you've seen since the All-Star break, Tim has been a bit more engaged. He's playing better. And I'm willing to just kind of, set aside the first half numbers and say, what is he doing now? Because the right now is what matters most for Tim Anderson and any team that acquires him. Uh, another name that you mentioned, John, that I, that I wanted to ask about, um, I, I had him on my list to ask you anyway, you'd mentioned Lane Thomas as, you know, that type of right-handed hitting outfielder can, can fill in at a couple different outfield spots, has hammered lefty pitching this year. Now he's a guy, he's in a bit of a fascinating spot for me because, you know, he's, he's not young, about to turn 28, um, and the Nationals, though, have to balance, hey, he's got a couple years of control left, but do we sell high right now? Do you get the sense that a, a player type like that from the Nationals, who are obviously bad right now, but but maybe not willing to be bad for too much longer, is Lane Thomas firmly available, or are you going to have to kind of kind of really nudge the Nationals uh, on the price tag? He's available, but the price tag is going to be high because – He's playing well. He's under control for a couple more years. Uh, there, there comes a time when a team is rebuilding where they start finding reasons to keep people instead of finding reasons to trade people. And the Nationals are getting close to that point. I'm not sure if they're there all the way. I do believe that they would trade Jamer Condelario. They would trade Ildemaro Vargas. They would trade Kyle Finnegan, I believe, because it almost always – behooves you to trade the reliever when you're not a, an especially competitive team. And so I think they're Finnegan. I would put the odds of a Finnegan trade at better than a Thomas trade because they control Thomas for longer. He's made himself into an everyday player there. 
you can't trade everybody. And, and actually, it, it makes sense if you're going to bring some younger players in to have a veteran like Thomas who's established himself to just provide some guidance to the group. So uh, is Lane Thomas available? Yes, he is. But I would expect the price tag will be commensurately high with the Nationals' belief that, first of all, he's a relatively cost-effective player, and second of all, they'd like to have him around for a while. If, if no one meets that price tag, you are more than happy to keep him because he helps you win next year and the year after that. Uh, last one for you before I let you go here, John. I know it's a busy day, but a, a name you had mentioned in the Tim Anderson, Paul DeYoung category of guy, and maybe it's a little too awkward uh, in division, but Vidal Bruhan uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays, he's someone that could be outbound for Tampa as they, as they juggle and look to add elsewhere. Yes, he could. And uh, I would also mention they've got another bat by the name, by the last name of Aran and they could both potentially be moved because as you know, with, with both Jonathan Aranda and Vidal Bruhan, they've got an abundance of infielders. And and whether it ends up being uh, the, the emergence of someone like Luke Rayleigh, they've got Wander Franco, they've got Brandon Lau. Um, they've got a good young club. Uh, Isak Paredes is another one. So that they've got a, a bit of a logjam of talent at the at the major league level to where their, their tradable players are actually – quote-unquote, prospects who are young major leaguers who have already been there uh, to an extent. Yeah, almost like what Ahmed Rosario was when, when, the, when the Mets moved him to Cleveland, that kind of a player uh, is, is what we're probably talking about with Bruhan and, and Jonathan Aranda. So uh, I would keep very close attention on, on the Rays. Minor league box scores, uh, they've both been up and down. Bruhan at the moment is in the major leagues, but those are the kind of guys that are blocked from – full-time roles right now in Tampa, but I believe they could be everyday players elsewhere. The kind of guys as well that uh, if you are looking to buy, uh, obviously very attractive to a lot of the less competitive teams that they are. Yes, prospects with upside, but you could plug them into your lineup for cheap right now, which is, uh, you know, unfortunately a consideration for, for a lot of teams. Um, John Morosi, Thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, enjoy Shohei in person. We'll get him in person here uh, on the weekend and have a blast these next six days. All the best. My favorite time of the year, Blake. Enjoy and look forward to our next conversation. John Morosi of MLB Network. The World Junior Hockey Championships would be devastated to hear John say that MLB trade deadline is his favorite time of year and not World Junior time. Uh, but here we are. Um, so, little reminder, Jay's game at 410 today. Ben Shulman and Chris LaRue have the radio call for you. Dan Shulman and Buck Martinez on the TV side with, with Arden Zwelling um, and Madison Chipman on Blue Jays Central with Jamie Campbell. So, oh, I'll be down there too. Um, it's Yusei Kikuchi against Tony Gonsolin. Blair and Barker are back in the Jays Talk post game slot today because it's a it's a 4 p.m. start. Show Ali gets to, uh, you know, maybe have a, a nap or a reasonable bedtime after doing the, the in-game updates uh, during the Jays broadcast. Ben Ennis will have a pregame show for you, three to four. Um, Brent Gunning and Daniele are coming up uh, next year. It's Kikuchi against Gonsolin. We don't have lineups yet. It's a little early for that still. I'd imagine the Dodgers are going to stack the righties. Uh, they have a couple lefties who just, don't hit lefties well. Um, I believe Jason Hayward is still hitless on the season against lefties. Uh, he was 0 for 13 uh, coming into yesterday's game. Did have a pair of walks, though. Um, now, the the Dodgers have 
too many lefties that someone's going to be in that lineup probably. We also, I don't believe we know the corresponding uh, roster move yet for Enrique Hernandez being acquired. But anyway, it should be a fascinating Dodgers lineup with some of those bench pieces drawing in. It's also day game after night game. So uh, maybe some juggling there as well. Thanks to John Morosi, Keegan Matheson, and Dan Schulman for, for coming on today. Thanks to Jeff Lance and Frank behind the glass. We'll be back tomorrow. Jays have an off day tomorrow. We'll, so we'll break down uh, tonight's game, but we'll do even more trade deadline stuff. And I've been saving all your texts to the text line. Uh, thank you for, for keeping those coming. We've got a big list of guys we can continue uh, to chip away at when Jays Talk Plus is back. 10 a.m. tomorrow on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Enjoy the late afternoon game, guys. Have a terrific Wednesday. 